Well, so good to be in the house of the Lord today. Hunter, can you cut me down just a little, just a little bit? Amen. I want to talk to us today for the next little bit um, on a topic that everybody loves. They love to participate in it. Um, they, 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 they can't get away from it. No one in this room has not participated in this thing. Um, it, it, it's everywhere. Um, everywhere you look, you see this, and, and you've been a part of it at some point in your life. You, you ready? You want to know what I'm going to talk about? Sin. Sin, everyone has participated. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23 that there is none righteous, no, not except for the people here at LVA Church. Nope. So I want to talk about sin. I, I put, as I was preparing this message, I put it the title of my message, Sin, and I changed it about 20 different times, seemed like I would, uh, this, that, and the other. So I just, I simply went back to sin, just sin. But I would kind of subtitle this morning, The Cost of Sin. Everybody participates, and they think that, there's, that they don't have to pay, but sin will cost you something. I'm going to go ahead and step out a little bit further and say that sin, if continued, will cost those around you. Now, no one, your family members are not held responsible for your sin. Don't ever think that. But your sin can cost them something as much as it costs you. Wow. Watch this. Now, we got some scripture here in a minute, but I want to read you uh, some things about sin that I've just gathered over some of the uh, sites that I look at when preparing some messages. And so, uh, just, just pieces here and there. Throughout the Bible, uh, almost every sin reaches for things with some intrinsic value, such as security, knowledge, peace, pleasure, and a good name. Can, uh, guys, I think I have a little uh, effects on this. Uh, I just need to cut them down a little bit. I know I'm picky, but I don't usually normally use this thing. So sin, it has some intrinsic value. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in sin chasing security. We'll put money in front of God. We'll put our intellectual knowledge in front of simplicity, the simplicity of God. This morning I was talking to a gentleman early and we got to talking about how simple the gospel is. You've heard me make this statement that the sheep will starve to death stand looking, standing looking at the hay. Simply means that sheep need hay to live in the wintertime. And if it's not down where we can receive it, the sheep will stand there wanting the hay, but will starve to death looking at it. And our knowledge, sometimes we want to get so theologically correct that our knowledge supersedes the simplicity of Christ. See, a very smart man can understand the simple things. And Christ, if you read any of the teachings that he, um, that he taught in the New Testament, they were all very simple. There was the simplicity of Christ. 
And our knowledge sometimes gets us to where we're chasing something and it has nothing to do with God. It's all about pride and how much you know intellectually. And God is swept right out of the picture. And then we wonder, where is God? Let me explain it this way. Our knowledge of God a lot of times affects us this way. If you ought to be able to explain God and if you can't explain Him, then it must not be God. That is incorrect. You have taken away the supernaturalness of God if you can explain God. Amen. But behind the appeal to something good, sin ultimately involves a, a, raw, a raw confrontation between obedience and rebellion. Sin does one of two things. You're either, you're either obedient to Christ and you, tr- and you do away with sin or you're in rebellion to Christ and you participate in sin. So you're in obedience to Christ and you're set free from sin. I didn't say you wouldn't sin, but you're set free from it. You don't, you don't actively and willingly participate. But how many of you know we don't actively and willingly participate, but you'll sin today? You won't mean to, but you will. Or the other is that you can be obedient to uh, you can be obedient to Christ. Or the other is you can rebel against Christ and you will participate in sin. Sin is this thing that is just it's around us, it's in us, and we got to be careful not to sin. I can tell you're going to like it. Adam and Eve heeded their impressions of God's instructions. They, let me put it this way. I, I left out a word. It'll make it say, it's going to say something. To so when you look at the Old Testament, will Adam and Eve participate in the impressions of God or will they rebel against God? Now, you and I already know that answer. What happens with you? You're the same way. Will you heed God's instructions or will you rebel? Will you rebel against what God wants you to do? I'm going somewhere, so stay with me. Will they listen to the creature or the creator? We know the answer to that. We know that Adam and Eve listened to the creature rather than the creator. Satan was a created being. Created by God. Yet Adam and Eve chose to listen to the creature, the creation, rather than the creator. We do it all the time. We get hung up in things that are very, very good for us that that we have to do. But if we're not careful, those things take front place. They get the front of the bus, if you will. Uh, Number one, money. I like money. You need money. We need money. We need money in the church to operate. But if not careful, money will take the front seat in your life, and that's all you pursue. And when you pursue money, guess what? And that's it. God becomes second. I'm not saying don't get out and get a job and have three or four of them if you need them. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know me by now after 12 years. I am saying that anything that puts itself or that is in the front of God is you've made God second place. It's an idol. And God says you'll worship me and me alone will you worship. You'll worship me with your spirit 
and your soul and your mind. You'll worship me with everything. And if, we give, if we're giving part of our lives to something that is not God, you're participating in a form of sin. Now, we don't like to talk about sin because sin makes you feel good. We don't want the preacher to talk about sin because sin means I must reform because no one in this room has an immunity against sin or sinful acts, not a one. So when we talk about sin, see, it's better to not talk about it so if I don't know about it, I'm really not sinning. Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 6. It says, without the law, I didn't know I was committing a sin. But when the law came, I realized that I was a sinner. Uh-oh. I didn't come up with the law. It's already here. So whether you hear it from me or not, guess what? You already know that there's a law. You already know whether you should live right or not. You know to do good. No one in this room was taught that you shouldn't kill somebody. I wasn't taught that. Just something in you, you know you're not supposed to do that. Not a person in this room that knows that you're not supposed to steal. That's, that's somebody else's. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You know it's not yours. Yeah, you go take it. You know that's wrong. You don't have to really be taught that. No, we were taught. Uh, I remember one time I stole something once. I stole a piece of bubble gum. Back then, I think it was like a penny. Green bubble gum. Love the green bubble gum. We went into this store. It's a country store. Mr. Brown was the owner of this store. And when I was a kid, he was at least nine feet tall. Had a flat top and it was wide. He was a marine or military type person. And we always went down there. And he had, uh, it, was a, it was a country store, but it had groceries, things that you, back up 50, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. And you could get a lot of things. And so my mother and I went in there one day and she got a few things. And we came back and we got in the car. And we're going down the road. And she sees me open up bubble gum. I was pretty sharp. And I start chewing that bubble gum. And I thought we were having a bad automobile accident because the brakes were slammed on. I about go through the windshield. She said, where did you get that gum? So I got it to Mr. Brown's. She said, you didn't have any money. Did you pay for that? And I know I didn't pay for it. I said, yes, ma'am, I paid for it. That's what she said. She said, you're lying. And by the time she got your lying out, we're turning around on the country road going back to Mr. Brown's. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I have put my mother in a spot. She's going to be so embarrassed that her son stole some bubble gum, green bubble gum. And we pull up, and there were a couple old pumps out front, you know, sitting a little ways from the station, didn't have a top on it. Pull up. She pulls between the gas pump and the store and says, now you get out and you march right in there and him, tell him you stole that gum. And I was thinking, well, why don't you go tell him since you found it out? I was good. He didn't know I stole it. So I marched my happy self right in there. And I'm telling you, as a, I was maybe six, seven. I remember looking up at him, I'm telling you, I thought he was a giant. And with that flat top, you just knew, Lord, I'm coming to meet you. 
please forgive me of stealing. And I said, Mr. Brown, my mother wanted me to come in and tell you I stole some bubble gum. And he stood looking at me. He said, okay, we'll have your mother pay for it and we'll call it even. So anyway, I gave up the penny. My heart was fluttering. That scared me to death. I mean, I was scared because I had stolen something. My mother and them didn't teach me that I shouldn't steal. I just knew that I shouldn't steal. Amen? There's certain things in us that we know that are sinful, but we do them anyway. Not you guys. I'm just talking about the other church that's having church today. Not, not here in this church. Somewhere else. But we all sin. We don't mean to sometimes, but we do. So it's time that we start addressing sin. In the church. At your house. In your life. So watch. Let's continue a little bit. Speaking of Adam and Eve, it says, Will they serve God or themselves? See, sin is a servant for you. You, 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 when you sin, you're serving you. It's, it's self. It's all about self. You notice that? Obedience to Christ is about others. It's about Him. But sin is about you. Who will judge what is right, God or humans? Who will see, the re- who will see to the results? Ultimately, by taking the position of arbitrator between the conflicting counsel of God and the serpent, Eve and Adam have already elevated themselves over God and rebelled against Him. In other words, they said, well, I'll choose what I want to do. I'll choose what's right and wrong. God, I know what you said, but let me choose. Today, we're in a a position, especially in America, this uh, place, this thing called moral relativism. You make up your own truth as you go along. It seems to work pretty well. Seems to work, but there's a cost to sin. It seemed to in 1964 when the Bibles were taken out of school. In 1973, it seemed like it was the right thing to do when we started abortions. Seemed to be right. Well, why can't I do me and you do you? The problem is, see, we become the arbitrator to what God's Word says. We decided what we, would, what we would live by and what we wouldn't live by according to God's word. If we don't like it, let's make up a new rule. If we don't like it, just take that out of the Bible. If we don't like it, let's twist it to say what we want it to say. Why do we do that? Because we love to sin. Because we're in a fallen world and, and human nature loves to sin. It feels good. Most of the time. While you're doing it. Then there's this consequence, this icky kind of crazy feeling called conviction that bothers you because you did what you wasn't supposed to do. I do have scripture in a minute we're going to go to. Moral relativism is horrible. You don't get to make up your own truth. I remember growing up, Pam... Most of the time I remember growing up. Most of the time I was, you know, getting a whipping. How many of you grew up with this phrase? When you ask your parents, more my dad, my dad, he was, 
Why do we have to do it that way? His response was, My Lord, if we, if we took God's word at what it said because it said so, period, we would be better off. See, I realized I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. But after a few rolls across the floor, I got pretty sharp. When Dad said, because I said so, that was the end of discussion. It's just done. Why? I don't need to know why. I don't, you, you, okay, good. The explanation of why you think we ought to do it is irrelevant to me now, Dad. I get it. You know why? Because there was an instant penalty. Sin, a lot of times, has no instant penalty. Sometimes it's right down the road a week or two, and sometimes our sinful nature won't show up till we get in front of Jesus. No instant penalty. And we live in a world we want instant reward though. And unfortunately there's no instant reward for serving the Lord. Oh, there's some blessings along the way, but the reward comes later. And we're not, we're not really that kind of people. We're in a microwave society and we want it. We want it right now. I've walked out of many a store in the last couple of years because I went in looking for something and they didn't have it. Instead of saying, well, could you order that in for me? Yeah, it'll be in tomorrow. Well, I'll spend the next three days going around town and see if I can find it. If I just ordered it, it'd have been in before I got through, right? We live in an instant world. I want it now. We want God to do something now. We want God to open up doors for our ministry now. We want God to bless us now. We want God to come down from heaven now. But we don't, we don't want to deal with sin. And we wonder why God doesn't come now. Because sin has a cost. There's a penalty to sin. Read a couple of more things and I'm going to move into some scripture. Sin has been said to have these qualities. Sin is violence. And sin is lovelessness toward other people. And ultimately rebellion against God. The Bible teaches that sin involves a condition in which the heart is corrupted and inclined toward evil. That's what sin is. It is lovelessness. It is hatred toward mankind. There's Bible in, in Luke, I believe it's chapter 12, he says that we are to do unto others as we want them to do unto you. When we stop doing that, guess what? Our love for our neighbor has left. Except when we want something from them. Lovelessness. It's a condition of the heart. See, the reason sin creeps in and takes over is because that we rebel against God. Pastor, I've never rebelled against God in my life. Well, how many of the commandments, not talking about the ten, but any commandment that the Bible teaches in the Bible, how many have you broken today? Have you truly loved the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind today? Husbands, have you loved your wives like God loves the church? Well, if, you're, if you haven't, you're in rebellion against God. Because he said to do that, men. 
Men, you love your wives like I love the church. Man, it's quiet up in this Pentecostal church today. See, when you, but you say, but, 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 but my wife, she's bothering me. I know what the Bible says. Some of you just brought the verse up in your memory bank that says that a nagging wife is worse than a dripping faucet. That's the verse we stand on. Amen? It's your fault, woman. But then you get to that New Testament and he didn't say why it was her fault. He didn't ask for who was at fault. He said, love your wives as I love the church. You know, you're a dripping faucet to the Lord. We try to be great and we're just heathens. We try to do right and we fall off the wagon. Well, if, if God had a frustration meter that was... He could give to me and say, now I want you to just keep up with this frustration meter. When I get frustrated with you, you look at it. You know, my meter would be pegged out all the time, I'm sure. Because of my sinful nature. Now let's look at some scripture and I'm going to get you out of here. Um, I'm going to read a a few verses. um, I don't know, 20 or 30 or 40 or a couple of books. I don't know. 2 Samuel chapter 24 starting at verse 10. 2 Samuel, verse, uh, chapter 24, starting at verse 10. David has uh, gone against God, and he's numbered the people. So I'm bringing you up to speed. He's numbered the people of Israel, um, and God told him not to do that. And so he, he was saying, oh, yeah, okay, well, whatever, God, let me go ahead and do what I want to do. Now, that's none of us. Anybody ever done that? You know God wants you to do something. You say, oh, yeah, whatever God. And you go and do your own thing. Did you know you just rebelled against God? We don't like to use those terms. Not, no, rebellion. I mean, is it really rebellion, preacher? Let's stand out and analyze this. Let me find several theologians that will agree with me, and then I'll bring you my case. You don't have to prove to me. I'm just telling you. If you don't do what God says, you're in rebellion, period. The simplicity of the, of the gospel. 2 Samuel 24, 24 verse 10 says, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. I, I want to make a, a note here that that word condemned means nakal, N-A-W-K-A-W. It's a Hebrew word. And it means to take a blow. To take a blow. In other words, he felt like he had been, the air had been knocked out of him. You ever, you ever gotten the news and it just felt like you just, the breath got sucked out of you. You just, it was a terrible blow. Just, I can't believe it. And for the next few minutes, you were just in awe. You didn't know where to stop, go, stand still, cry, laugh. You, You just, that's what this word means. His heart. His heart condemned him. He had a a blow in his heart. He knew when he numbered the people that he shouldn't have done. He knew he rebelled against God. He says, after he numbered the people, so David said to the Lord, watch what he said. I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away thine iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. 
Verse 11 says, Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, which was David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer three things. I offer you three things. Choose one of them yourself that I may do it unto you. Verse 13, so God came, uh, so Gad came to David and told him and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? This is option number one, door number one. You want seven, David? Because you sinned. Listen, there's a cost to sin. Because you sinned against God, now there's a choice you're going to have to make. See, it wasn't an instant penalty right then, but a few days later, now we're, we're faced with some options. Door number one, do you want seven years of famine uh, to come to your, to your people, to Israel? Number two, or do you want to flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? So far, I'm not liking any of the options. And then number three, or for three days, or, or, or shall there be for three days a plague in your land? I still don't like any of the options because God gives plagues. Man does not give plagues. God gives plagues. So right now, I'm still... Is there another one? That's what I would be asking God. God, can we pick another one? Because I don't like these. Matter of fact, God, it wasn't that big of a sin, was it? I mean, I just numbered some people. It wasn't that big. I mean, come on, God. Give me a break here. But I never see where God in these options said, well, you know, you're right. Let me give you a fourth option. Let me just... Spank you on the hand and say, now don't you do that anymore now. You go and sin no more. No, he stands fast on his, on his options. Verse 14. Uh, let me finish verse 13. He says, after the three days of play, he says, Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. This is the seer Gad, his his uh, armor bearer, if you will, so to speak, the prophet. And he says, I'm going to take your answer back to God. You better get it right. Verse four, uh, 14 says, And David said to Gad, I am in great, uh, said, to, yeah, said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Now, David was, uh, had a lot of wisdom right here. One of my message titles in this particular one, I was going to do it, was going to uh, subtitle, Sin, Let Us Fall on the Mercies of God. See, we've gotten so far from sin that we don't think a big deal of it. We don't, we don't, we don't want to go back and fall and, and throw ourselves on the mercies of God. We just think, well, it's, it's just what I do. I've been preached grace. I hear everybody about grace and mercy and grace and mercy. And we've got to have it. The problem is, most of the time, we're not even using that. We sin and never say, Lord, forgive me of that. Well, preacher, you don't have to repent every time you sin. Well... Maybe you don't. I'm not saying that that would put you in or keep you out of hell, but what I am telling you is this. If you do not get your sin right before God, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
Ooh I should have stayed on the combine today. Got good cold air conditioning on it. Nobody's talking back at me. Nobody looking at me. I'm just a man. Verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from, from the morning until the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba. Seventy, watch this, 70,000 men of the people died. And David committed the sin. There's a cost to sin. There is a cost to sin to those around you, sir or ma'am. There is a cost to sin. You may not think it is, but there's a cost to sin. If sin was okay, God would have never brought up sin in the Bible. You'd just be okay. If sin was okay, do you know they were sinning before they found out about the law? They were sinning before they found out about the law. They didn't know they were sinning, but they were sinning. In God's eyes, they were sinning. And when the the law came into place, guess what? They realized, oh Lord, I'm sinning. How do we get out of this? You know the rest of the story. thing called a cross in John 3.16. Let me move on to another message. Verse 16, and when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, Aruna the Jebusite. So the Lord saw this. Old Testament now, think about this. Old Testament, he saw that his, he was fixing to destroy it all because God is limitless in his love and mercy and grace and he's limitless in his authority to take care of sin. Did you hear what I said? He is limitless in his authority and power to take care of sin. He could have destroyed the whole world with a few words. He had an angel stand above Israel, just go and read all the story. By the way, if you read Samuel, if you read in Samuel, if you go in Kings and stuff, if you go to Second Chronicles or the Chronicles, that's a lot of the stories in a little more detail about Samuel and the King, Book of Kings. Okay, so it's just kind of like let me use a little detail. That's a side note; it cost you nothing. Verse seventeen. I want to say this: that your sin has effect on those around you. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was, who was striking the people. And he said, surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. See, when you sin, it affects those around you. Even though you were the one doing it, guess what? Sin will affect those around you. If you've got a nice, happy little family, go out and have an affair. That came out just the way I wanted it to come out. Go do that and see if your sin doesn't affect somebody around you. See if your drunkenness, when you go down the highway and you kill a 13 or a 10-year-old or a baby... See if that sin doesn't have a consequence and affect people around you when you're in prison. 
And you just went out for a night with the guys to stop by the bar on the way home to have a a beer. To relax a little bit. You know, because the pressures are great. And God, you can't suffice in this situation. You know, your peace is good for somebody else, but it's not the peace I need. It's not the peace that surpasses all understanding in my life. So I need a little help. I need a little something to relax. A little, a little adult beverage. And turns into drunkenness. Tell me sin. Doesn't affect those around you. Woo, don't shout me down now. I'm just about halfway through. I'm going to hurry. God uh, and Gad, I'm sorry, I keep saying God because I don't have my glasses and and there's just G-A-D and G-O-D and they look really close. I'm not good. I'll just, y'all get it. If I miss the word, y'all got it, right? Okay, so don't don't leave here and say, you know, he called Gad God. I bet he's elevating Gad up there with God. Come on now, I just, it's a glass thing. Okay, glasses. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of a run of the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And now Arunah looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arunah went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Verse 21, And then Arunah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said to buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. I want to say this as we move forward in toward the last closing of this. Because I've got a series on sin you're not going to want to miss. I'm going to talk about in the next few weeks what is sin. How do we get there? How do we get out of sin? How do we define sin? We sin and we don't even know how to define it sometimes. This is what I'm going to say in closing for today. Serving the Lord will cost you something. My daddy always told me, son, if it's not worth working for, it's not worth having. We'll spend countless hours getting material things. Spend countless hours away from home, missing ball games or missing birthday parties or whatever it might be. Staying over at the, at the factory for the next shift to earn another dollar so that we can achieve something because we believe it is worth it. He's worth it. Christ is worth it, but it will cost you something. It's going to cost you something. He said, well, I thought he paid the price. Stay with me. We're not talking about you being saved. We're talking about it's going to cost you something. Serving Christ will cost you something. If if it hasn't cost you something right now, let me make a real bold statement. I'm not sure you've been serving him. It's going to cost you something to serve the Lord. I'm not even going to ask you, am I doing okay? I'm just asking myself that question 
on this side of the brain and I answer that on this side of the brain, okay? Thank you. Verse 22. And the runner said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt sacrifice and threshing elements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All of these, O king, Arunna, has given to the king. And Arunna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Verse 24. Then the king, David, said to Arunna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David brought the th- bought the threshing floor for, and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there on the altar to the Lord and offered him burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. We no longer have to offer sacrifices. Praise God. Amen? That's a nasty job. Everybody want to be the priest. Oh, let me be part of the Levites. They don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah. If you like stinky, bloody stuff, all that, no, it's not a problem at all. We don't have to give sacrifices anymore. But what we do have to do is be willing to be obedient. And when you're willing to be obedient to Christ, it's going to cost you something. I've seen it cost people a lot of things, but it's worth it. But let me tell you this about sin. I've seen sin cost people something that they didn't want to pay. And sin is that gift that just keeps on giving. You say, well, it's just me and mine, and I'm doing fine, and, and everything's fine. Yeah. You like doing what you do on, on the nighttime, being Corinthian kind of people? That means you're sleeping with somebody you ain't supposed to be sleeping with. And you end up with something that you don't want, that you never planned on. Some kind of disease. Watch this. A baby. Come on, sin has consequences, church. I believe that we're experiencing the consequence of sin in America. Because our churches no longer honor God. They think sin is just something that's already been covered. We don't have to worry about that. So therefore, it's not a big deal to me. Yes, he has covered sin. If you're blood-bought, well, we're not talking about you being saved. We're talking about simply the sin has a price. And when you participate in sin, there's a cost. And it'll affect you. It'll affect those around you. It'll affect this church. When sin left to itself, well, it will grow bigger. It will multiply. No drunkard ever said, I want to grow up and be a drunkard. No addict ever said, I want to grow up, I want to be an addict. No, it started with one thing. No doctor said, well, it's just, I, just, I just want to have a little fun, but I don't want to mess up my marriage. Well, good luck with that. 
like to talk about these things in the church because we're not participating in these things. Oh, let's break it down a little bit so some of those hidden things. Jealousy is a sin. Backbiting is a sin. Lying is a sin. Hatred is a sin. Divisiveness in the church, when you talk about certain things to certain people and you know that you shouldn't. Do you know that's sin? Do you know sin has consequences? If I go to Pam and say, Pam, this is a clear indication. You already know this, but I say, Pam, I want you to help me pray about something. Really, it's somebody. I hate to even say anything. Get your stuff and run. Because you're fixing to participate in sin. I just need you. They really need our prayers. And, I, you know, I tell you what, I'm just so, I hurt so bad for them. And I, oh, gee, mm, hallelujah. Mm. Give me just a minute. Will you just agree with me? We need to pray for this person. But I need to tell you everything about them so we can know how to pray together. Do you know that has consequences? Because you say, you know what? Glory to God, I'm gonna, this is a big one here. I need to get me another prayer partner too. Let me go tell so-and-so. So we can, you know, because we, we pull out scripture on this stuff. Two chords is hard to break, but three, you can't hardly break those. So we need a three-fold chord going on here so we can have some good prayer. You just lied. You're a liar. So now you created division and you're a liar. Sin has consequences. And so when, when that gets out and now you've told one person, well, they're going to sin. And the next thing, there's three or four people. And then there's a, a little group over here that says, you know, you know what the preacher did. And then this group tries to pit against this group. I went to a church one time. There was a church. It was a beautiful church. One of those churches, you know, just had two sets of rows. You know, just like, like a row down this side, an owl in the middle, and a row down this side. And you can always tell, you can get a, the people on the left or you get the people on the right. Praise God. Said something about that in Revelation, one of those churches. And, and, and you know, they all, but that church could be unified. You know when the church got unified? is when they didn't like the preacher. Man, you're talking about crossing party lines. Boy, they could forget all of that personal stuff and cross party lines if they were mad at the preacher to get rid of him. Well, that's sin. I'm not saying that goes on in here. If it goes in here, I don't know about it. Don't care to know about it, okay? My point is this. Sin has consequences, church. And we only look at these big things. It is time that the church say, I'm going to address the sin. Watch this. Listen to me if you get nothing else in my message today. Do I have everybody's attention? If you get nothing else, get this. It is time that the church says, I will address the sin in my life. I'm not looking across the aisle to see or I'm not going to be on the phone or whatever trying to figure out what the sin is in somebody else's life. I've got enough in my life I need to get right with the Lord. And it's going to cost me. Amen. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost you something to serve the Lord. You know what that is? Sometimes... 
what I'm doing is I'm closing my mouth so I can't speak. It's going to cost you. Sometimes you're going to offend some of your friends. When you say, oh, no, 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 no. Ralph, I ain't talking about today. That, Ralph, you know that's wrong. Ralph, you bring it up is wrong. We wouldn't, we, we can't do that. Well, why not? Oh, I know. Because now we get to, as I read earlier, participate in sin because it feels good. I know something on somebody. And we'll disguise it under the prayer team. The new Greek word for today is baloney. I wanted to preach this, teach this today because I am going to start a series on sin. And we're going to talk about what sin is and we're going to start defining sin. I want you to do this though this week. Before you come back next week, Will you do this with me? Will you pray and say, Lord, would you let me be open and not so blinded to what I think sin is, to what sin really is? See, we got an idea that I got my way and it's the right way. It doesn't matter what your way is or not. If it's not God's way, it's wrong. It doesn't matter what I think. If it's not God's way, it's wrong. So I want you this week praying, saying, Lord, help me to receive and understand what sin really is. Because until we understand that sin has creeped into our lives, we won't know how to address sin because we don't know what we're addressing. But when we can address sin, that puts us in a better position to be obedient to Christ. And I, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure Everybody in this room has some, a little better need to be more obedient to Christ. And by the way, I'm at the front of the line. I love you. Man, I hope y'all enjoyed this today. I mean, you, you, you don't act like you have. But man, I hope you... No, I'm kidding. Will you stand with me? Uh, I'm not apologizing. I'm really not. Because uh, somebody said, don't apologize. And uh, if y'all got any problem with that, take it up with David McNamara. Um, not David. Take it up, David McNamara. About the biggest fella in here. Yep, take it up. No, I'm kidding. Let me bless you before we go. I really want you to look at your life this week. Really. This is homework. This is homework. What in your life is costing you something? What in your life is affecting those around you? What is, it, what is in your life, this sin that's in your life that's affecting you from worshiping a true God? And you truly, in spirit and truth, worship. What is it? There's something. We've all got room. I know we don't like these messages. I didn't like it either. Just so you know, I got it before you did. But it's necessary. Amen.